Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we're covering Brian Boru, perhaps the most famous king in Irish history. Brian is well known for two things, ending the monopoly of the High Kingship of Ireland by the powerful Enail clan, and supposedly ending the Danish-slash-Viking occupation within his nation. Brian's rise to power and life story have granted him such titles as the Augustus of all Northwestern Europe and a martyr of the Catholic religion. He was one of the many great medieval European unifiers, though most people aren't as familiar with him as they are with, let's say, Charlemagne. It probably doesn't help that he isn't really known as Brian the Great. Also, it doesn't really help that, due to many differing factors, Irish history, even at this point I'll be covering which isn't really that far back in the grand scheme of things, isn't very well preserved. A lot of actual history is mixed with myth and legend, so I'll do my best to try to stick with pure facts. As always for a disclaimer, I don't speak Irish. I've tried learning it but never got too far in my studies. That's all to say that Irish words and names are, in my opinion at least, somewhat difficult to get a proper pronunciation with for a non-Irish English speaker. So when possible, I'll try using the anglicized form of Irish terms and maybe even some names. I'm doing my best, but I am just one person. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the turn of the 11th century CE in... O'Brien, my Brian. I'm very excited for the background lesson of this episode because I get to talk about two things I really love, Ireland and Vikings. So let's start off with Brian's homeland. Ireland at this point in time, starting from around 800 and lasting to 1014, is sometimes considered the Viking Age of Ireland. It was a fairly homogenized culture of the Gaelic people. They spoke the Irish language, mostly practiced the same cultural customs, and by this point, almost everyone was Christian. The Christianization of Ireland had started several centuries before and had almost completely overtaken the nation by the early 800s, though there were still allegedly pockets of people around the country that practiced the older Irish form of polytheism. There weren't too many major cities in Ireland by this point. Most of the population lived in smaller rural communities. The cities were usually centered around major monasteries, such as Armagh in the north and Kildare in the southeast. Religion was one of the most important aspects of Irish culture at this point. In fact, there are many historians who consider Irish monks the saviors of Western civilization, aka Western Christian civilization, during the heights of the Viking era. This was because Vikings would go around raiding villages and churches, but Irish monasteries were often in very remote locations where the monks inside, who were well-versed in Latin and Greek, basically spent their entire lives copying down ancient manuscripts. But there were still political divides within the nation. Ireland is historically divided into five kingdoms. These kingdoms are Ulster in the north, and to this day the nation of Northern Ireland is also referred to as Ulster, Connacht in the west, Leinster in the southeast, Munster in the south, and Meath in the middle of the eastern coastline. These historical kingdoms, minus Meath, 
today make up what are called the Four Provinces of Ireland. By the time Brian Boru was alive, there was a bit more divide between the historical kingdoms. The Kingdom of Ulster, also called Uled, had been divided up by the Yenail clan, who in turn were divided up into two major factions, the Northern Yenail and the Southern Yenail. The Southern Yenail controlled much of what was Meath. The Northern Yenail held much of Northern Ireland, including the sub-kingdom called Ariala, which comprises what are parts of modern day's counties Derry, Armagh, Tyrone, Monaghan, and a few others. That left the actual kingdom known as Uled as about half the size as it had previously been, incorporating the northeastern corner of the island. Leinster was much smaller than it had been throughout other periods of history, and it was much more commonly called Legan at this point. Munster was much larger, sprawling across southern Ireland, and Connacht was more or less the same as it's always been. Starting in the late 8th century, Norse Vikings started up raids within the nation. These were small-scale raids mostly occurring on the western coast in Connacht. Things really began kicking off in 821 when the Vikings came in full force. Unlike their previous tactics of attacking and leaving, this new wave of Vikings began setting up their own settlements along the eastern coast of Ireland, one of their main locations being around modern-day Dublin. Over the next couple decades, their forces grew larger. They began using the larger rivers in Ireland, such as the Shannon, to move massive fleets, some even being described as up to 1,500 Vikings, in order to hit the cities centered around the cathedrals further inland. This obviously led to conflicts with the local kings of the island. Due to the fact that Ireland was a series of smaller kingdoms with no true central power structure, though we'll get into that later, it made it easier for the Vikings to go about their business. However, it also made it impossible for Scandinavian armies to ever truly conquer Ireland because there were so many kings, somewhere around 150 to be more precise, who were either somewhat inconsequential or easily replaced if the Vikings killed them. But over the years, a power dynamic changed, and the local kings and rulers began hiring Vikings as mercenaries to use in their wars against the other kings and rulers of Ireland. Now no longer the conquerors, but merely soldiers for the actual rulers, the Vikings began assimilating into Irish culture. This new ethnic group, referred to as either Norse Gaels or Hiberno-Norse, founded new cities such as Waterford, Cork, Limerick, and the actual city of Dublin. They even set up their own dynasty in Dublin, the dynasty of Ivar. In Irish, they were called the Iwar. This new melting pot of Norse and Gaelic culture, as well as the constant warfare between the kings of Ireland, would bring about the age in which we find Brian Boru's story. A time when Ireland would need someone to step in and bring a bit of unification. True, there were the Yenail clans, but maybe relying on one family tree for all of Ireland's problems wasn't enough. Southern Ireland needed to have its own response to their supremacy. Before we actually dive into Brian's life, let's talk more about the Yenail, because obviously they will be important. Both branches of the clan claim descendants from Neo Noihilach, a semi-legendary king who died in the mid-5th century CE. His nickname, Noihilach, is Old Irish for having nine hostages, 
Most of the stories about him handed down over the years are usually considered to be completely legendary as opposed to historical fact, including him being the leader of the group that kidnapped St. Patrick, bringing him to Ireland. But historians usually believe that he actually existed as a person, even if most of the sources surrounding his kingship, including the annals of the High Kings of Ireland, are almost completely fictitious. The Northern Yenail supposedly trace their origins back to three of the sons of Neil, with the two main dynasties of the Northern Yenail, the Kennel Connell and the Kennel Nyoan, being named after his sons Connell and Owen, respectively. Their legendary origin of supremacy in the north comes from the stories of Neil and his kin invading Ulster and gaining their own footholds in the north. The Kennel Colonel originally held dominance over the territories of the northern Yenail, including holding the title of King of Tara. This was a title that was used to invoke a sense of control over the other kings of Ireland, drawing upon ideas of older legendary and mythological kings. The King of Tara, though often conflated with the High King of Ireland, was actually a separate title altogether. I'll get into what the High Kingship is later. Eventually, though, the power of the Kennel Colonel waned, and it ended up with a system where the King of Tara title alternated between the Kennel Colonel and the Kennel Nyoan. Together, these two dynasties ended up mostly keeping Vikings out of Northern Ireland until well after the death of Brian Boru. The southern Yenail, like their northern counterpart, also traced their origins to the sons of Neil. Originally, these Yenail were said to be descended from his two sons, Loigara and Corpora. However, after the murder of a descendant of Corpora, the line was taken over by the descendants of another son of Neil named Connell, who is different from the Connell of the northern Yenail. Eventually, the descendants of the second Connell also formed two major dynasties, each ruling over the kingdoms of Meath and the smaller petty kingdom of Brega just north of Dublin, and several of their leaders would become the High King of Ireland. Around the turn of the 11th century, the High King of Ireland ruling in Meath was a man named Mal Shechnal MacDonald. And while he enjoyed his own victories against foreign invaders and supremacy within the Yenail, Mal Shechnal would soon find himself facing an outside force originating from lands not far to the north, but just south of his own borders. Brian Boru's early years would seemingly set him up to be anything but the future High King of Ireland. He was one of twelve sons, usually reported as the youngest of the twelve, of Kenetique MacLorcan, King of the Dalkesh in what is now County Clare, which back then was part of Munster. He was born around the year 941 at the fort of Kinkora, his father's keep, in Killaloo, which is still a village in County Clare. His mother was the daughter of a king in Connacht. The Dalkesh territory was right near the border of Munster and Connacht. His mother was probably a member of the Yabrian clan, which may explain why he was named Brian, as that wasn't a super popular name in Munster. Since he was the twelfth of twelve, and very much not in the running for the kingship of the Dalcassians, Brian was sent to a monastery on the island of Innisfallen, where he studied Latin and other classical Irish subjects. At some point in his childhood, probably sometime before being sent to Innisfallen, Vikings from Limerick attacked the Dalcassians, where it said that they killed his mother. His father was also occasionally at war with the current High King of Ireland, a man named Conalach Noba. 
two of Brian's older brothers reportedly died in the war between Kenneteague and the High King. But that wasn't the end of deaths for Brian's family. No, far from it. When Brian was only 10 years old, he learned that his father had been slain, and the usual report is that it was also Vikings from Limerick attacking the Dalcassians again, though it's equally possible that Kennedy could have died in his war against the High King. Either way, Brian was sent back home to Killaloo, where his older brother, Lachna, was now king. Well, a couple years later, Lachna was assassinated by rivals, but the throne succeeded to Brian's older brother, Mayan. As leader of the Dalcassians, Mayan sought to expand the influence of his people. He eventually took control of the Rock of Keshel, the seat of power within Munster. While this was in fact a big deal, the original overlords of Munster, the Yanakta clan, had already been weakened by infighting, the Yanael clan, and the Norse of Southern Ireland. Nonetheless, Mayan was now the High King of Munster. However, he would constantly face challenges to his rule from Malmuad Macbrian, a member of the Yoanakta clan who viewed himself as the rightful ruler. While Mayan was dealing with threats from other gales, Brian began focusing his attention on the Norse living within Munster, specifically those settled in Limerick. In 968, at around 26 years old, Brian decided to seek revenge for the past offenses the Norse had laid on the Dalcassians and his family. With a small band of soldiers by his side and without man's permission, Brian launched an attack on the people of King Ivar of Limerick, the local Norse ruler. And though Brian's men fought valiantly and amassed a great deal of victories, the casualties on the side of the Dalcassians put them in an unfavorable position. Luckily, Mayon got word of his brother's exploits and sent in reinforcements. With more men at his side, Brian switched battle tactics to be more in favor of the Irish armies. You see, many medieval Irish soldiers were trained in a way that suited fighting in the woods. The Norse armies, on the other hand, had a very strong defensive tactic where they formed a shield wall. While the shield wall works great in cities, it doesn't work so great when you're surrounded by trees. So now with the high ground, and actually quite literally because Brian lured them to a hill, the Dalcassian forces managed to defeat the armies of Ivar of Limerick. And afterwards, Brian and Mann's forces marched on Limerick and burned the settlement to the ground. Despite requiring aid from his brother, the Battle of Sokoit, the final battle in which Brian routed Ivar's armies, was the first major victory for the future High King. And for a time, the victory over the Norse created an era of camaraderie between the different Irish clans in Munster. But the peace did not last long. In 976, the armies of Mile Muaid MacBrien moved against Man where they kidnapped the High King of Munster and killed him. Brian succeeded his brother as King of the Dalcash and, over the next few years, got to work finishing off all of his enemies in Munster. His first target was the remaining forces of Ivar of Limerick. The new man in charge of Ivar's people was a man named Iwar. When Brian became the leader of the Dalcassians, Iwar knew he had a giant target painted on his back. Iwar and his sons fled to a monastery on Scattery Island in order to seek asylum. In a pretty uncool move, 
Brian, now with a mixture of grief for his brother combined with his hatred of the Norse, abandoned the laws of asylum the church granted and led a naval fleet to attack the monastery. He killed Ewar and his sons, and sacked the monastery while he was at it. With the Norse threat gone, Brian could now turn his attention to Malmuad. Now we get into the part of Brian's story that is especially difficult to get exact details and dates for. Like, some historical records date Brian's conflict with Malmuad before his final blow against Iwar. Other people say it happened afterwards, and even with stuff I'm gonna cover in a moment, it's all a bit hazy as to exact years. So for the sake of clarity, let's say that the attack on Iwar through the end of this section of the show takes place between the years 977 and 978. Brian waged war against Malmuad, the claimant of the High Kingship of Munster. At the Battle of Belaklekta, Brian's forces defeated those of the Yoanakta king. With Malmuad dead, the Thalkash became the leaders of Munster, with Brian officially taking over the kingship. And that's about all the details history gives us, at least any reliable sort of history. But even with the throne secured, things were not peaceful in Munster. Even though Brian had destroyed Ivar, Malmwed, and the entire city of Limerick, there were still some who were loyal to his old enemies. These forces rallied behind Donovan MacHale, one of the allies of the Yoanakta and the man who had personally captured Man and delivered him to Malmwed, and also Erald Mac Iwar, who despite his patronymic was the son of Ivar, not Iwar. And actually, in a lot of modern stories of Brian's life, it's actually Donovan who plays the role of major antagonist in Munster for the Dalkash. Fun fact there. And just like the Battle of Belaklekta, very little is known about this new conflict, the Battle of Karakwan. No one even knows if this was just a single battle or an all-out war for the fate of Munster. Whatever sort of fighting occurred, once more, Brian Boru came out as victor, fully securing Munster as his own. And surprisingly, for a man who hated the Norse and Vikings so much, Brian allowed some of the Norse Gales to continue living in Munster. Due to the Vikings having racked up so much wealth with their raids, as well as having really great naval powers to perform said raids, Brian realized that these people could become very powerful trade allies if used properly. Unfortunately, a lot of that trade was actually slaves. However, the seafaring foreigners would prove useful in Brian's later military endeavors with their expert naval combat. So with his own kingdom and allies in tow, Brian turned his gaze on the other lands of Ireland, namely Leinster and Connacht. However, his hopes of gathering even more territory would put him in the sights of Malashechnal Macdonnell, the self-titled High King of Ireland. Now that Brian holds the title of High King of Munster and Malashechnal is High King of Ireland, Let's take a brief detour to actually talk about what that position means for this period of time. I mentioned another position earlier, the King of Tara. That position was much more, let's say, symbolic. Technically, being the King of Tara means nothing in an actual political setting. Also, because I didn't mention it before, 
Tara is a hill in County Meath that was once an ancient ceremonial and burial ground. In some stories, it was also the seat of power for the Irish gods, the Tua de Danann. The title, King of Tara, was technically supposed to be able to trace back all the way to the gods themselves. The High King of Ireland was, on the other hand, a very real title, though also not without its own intricacies that made it less important than it actually sounds. The title is supposed to be just what it sounds like, King of all of Ireland, the King of Kings, if you will. Sometimes, if a king claiming this title was powerful enough, he could actually achieve some sense of sovereignty over other kings who did not even live within his own kingdom. This was the case with several Yenale High Kings. However, with there being well over 100 local kings within Ireland, it was almost impossible to ever achieve the fealty of every single king, therefore never actually making someone a true king of all Ireland. That's why the position is usually seen as being only applied to a single kingdom, which in this instance refers to the historical kingdoms of Munster, Leinster, Connacht, Meath, Ulster, and the several others that existed during Brian's time. So even though Mal Sheknal is usually portrayed as the High King of Ireland, in reality he was actually only the High King of Meath who had a bit of sway with some other kings outside of his territory. Therefore, he was actually kind of on the same power level as Brian, seeing as he was the High King of Munster. But the Yenale clan name held great power in medieval Ireland, and it's for that reason why Mal Sheknal's attention would prove to be a great obstacle in the path of Brian's quest for power. For about 15 years, between 982 and 997, Brian sparred back and forth against Mal Shechnal. The pair were fairly evenly matched, what with the High King of Ireland commanding massive armies, but Brian found his own way to gain ground with a unique war strategy, at least unique for this period of Irish history. Making use of the Norse settlers in Munster, Brian developed a naval force that could be used for both direct and indirect attacks. He used this fleet to sail up the Shannon River in order to directly attack Connacht and Western Meath. But he also used it to distract the armies of Mal Sheknal, usually making the naval part of his army attack targets far away from his actual point of attack. The first major attack of the war between the High Kings came with Brian's invasion in 982 of the Kingdom of Osric, a smaller kingdom situated between Munster and Leinster that now corresponds to the Diocese of Ossory. With Brian's forces out east, Mal Sheknal took advantage of the High King of Munster's absence to lead a direct assault on Brian's homeland, destroying the Tree of Adair, a sacred site where many Dalcassian kings had been crowned. In retaliation, Brian marched north into western Meath where he plundered that part of the kingdom. Unfortunately, his naval fleet ended up in combat against a prince from right next door in Connacht, which led to Connacht invading Munster. After another final devastating blow from Mal Sheknal within the borders of Munster, the two kings entered a hesitant period of peace. Brian returned to Munster in order to bring peace to his damaged kingdom. Over the next several years, he once more began pressing into Leinster, though this time without also needing to face Mal Sheknal. In 993, 
he decided once more to put pressure on the High King of Ireland by sailing north on the River Shannon into the northern kingdom of Brefna, which was just north of Meath, and setting up raids within the territory. Despite now being surrounded on the north and south by Brian's forces, Malashechnal did not go to war against Munster during this time. It was not until three years later in 996, once Brian had fully gained control of Leinster, that things began to change in a major way between the two high kings. With two of the major kingdoms under his control, Brian was nearing equal power to the king of the southern Yenail. Malashechnal reached out to Brian, and the pair met to discuss the future of Ireland. Brian and Mal agreed to divide Ireland in half, south and north respectively. This division of Ireland wasn't new by any means necessary. Munster, Leinster, and the Kingdom of Osrig were collectively known as Leith Moga, and the rest of the kingdoms in the north were known as Leith Quinn. These names come from an agreement made by two legendary kings of Ireland's 2nd century CE past. Yoan Mor, also called Mug Nuadath, the King of Munster, and Khan of the Hundred Battles. Khan of the Hundred Battles was said to be an ancestor of the Yenail clan, because everything in Irish history always comes back to the Yenails. Brian accepted the terms of this new truce, and now had all of Southern Ireland at his command. Or at least, he thought he did. History doesn't tell us much about Brian's conquest of Leinster, but he actually allowed the previous king of southeastern Ireland to retain his throne. Well, that situation doesn't last long, because in 998, the king of Leinster was overthrown, and a man named Malmorga MacMurchada took the throne. The new king of Leinster immediately rebelled against Brian's rule. This rebellion within Brian's territory shook up things in Ireland. As Leinster bordered Meath to the south, Malshechnal was also feeling pressured by Malmorda. But that wasn't the only problem for Malshechna. Malmorda's cousin was a man named Sigtrig Silkbeard Olafsson, the Hiberno Norse king of Dublin. Thus, the king of the north and the king of the south decided it would be best to team up in order to take on this new threat. The two kings decided to combine their armies in order to lay siege to the city of Dublin. However, probably knowing that Dublin would not be able to withstand the two-fronted siege, Sigtrig and Malmorda decided to meet Brian and Malshechnal in the field of battle. And now that we've reached another battle, it's time for history to get fuzzy again. The Battle of Glenmama was fought in 999 near what is now the village of Ardclough in County Kildare. Most Irish histories say it was a very brutal battle, but that's about all that can be agreed on. There's no real way to judge how long the battle lasted or how many people died. What is known is that Brian and Malshechnal's forces overcame those under the combined might of Dublin and Leinster. Echoing his great victory from years before in Limerick, Brian marched his armies into Dublin, sacked the city, and burned it to the ground. But unlike Brian's bloody war against Ivar and Limerick, the king of Lethmoga did not kill Malmorda or Sigtrig. The latter had actually tried seeking asylum in Ulster, but the Oled had turned him away, leaving his fate in Brian's hands. In a strange change for Brian, perhaps brought up by age, he was nearing 60 years old by this point, 
or his truth with Mal Sheknal, he decided to let both men retain their thrones. You know, despite having burned Sigtrig's city to the ground. Brian gave one of his daughters in marriage to Mal Mordor to solidify a truce with the King of Leinster. In order to make a truce with Dublin, Brian ended up marrying Sigtrig's mother, Gormleth, who happened to be the former wife of Mal Sheknal. Peace had come once more to Lethmoga. But unfortunately, Brian was not content with just having Southern Ireland. We are going to call it there for Brian's story today. When we next catch up with him, we'll finally get to see Brian become the High King of Ireland. We'll also learn a bit more about his family and what it means for the future High Kingship of Ireland. Like with Cleopatra, I had actually expected Brian's story to be one episode, but despite now being a middle-aged man, there is a lot left to the story of Brian Boru. That won't be next time though, but I won't keep Brian's story waiting in the wings for too long. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're learning about a figure we briefly talked about back in episode 12. That was the episode over Rodrigo Borgia, aka Pope Alexander VI. In that episode, I had mentioned that his son Cesare could easily have an episode of his own. Well, we're going back to Italy next time in order to learn more about the devious son of the Pope. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.